Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. We have two great guests today, so let's get right at it. Later on, we'll get to know Alan Frew, the Scottish-Canadian singer, songwriter, actor, and author, and notably lead singer of the Canadian rock band Glass Tiger. Today, we'll talk about his upcoming 80s, 90 rewind shows that will feature performances of classic hit songs that have left an indelible mark on the music industry to this very day. Concert goers can expect to hear Frew perform songs by Simple Minds, Tears for Fears, Midnight Oil, R.E.M., and many, many more. More on that a little bit later on. First, let's meet a legendary Canadian guitarist. Rick Emmett is a solo artist, a guitarist, a poet, a songwriter, a teacher, a Canadian Music Industry Hall of Famer, and is probably best known as the co-singer and guitar player of Triumph, the gold and platinum-selling rock trio who lit up radios in the 1970s and 80s with songs like this. Emmett left Triumph in 1988 to pursue a solo career and released records in a variety of styles, including rock, blues, jazz, classical, bluegrass, and flamenco. He's won a Canadian Smooth Jazz Award for Guitarist of the Year and has now written a book called Lay It on the Line, a backstage pass to rock star adventure, conflict, and triumph, which is available now wherever you buy fine books. In this conversation, we talk about the memoir, objective perspective of a career while you're inside it, while you're living it, his favorite guitar players, and much, much more. Here's Rick Emmett. Congratulations on Lay It on the Line, a backstage pass to rock star adventure, conflict, and triumph. <laughs> How's that for a it, subtitle? That, the, you know, I, definitely the marketing and promotion people had some input. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the word triumph is kind of in larger letters and it's in gold. And I think it stands out. And I think that's probably important for the marketing of the book. Absolutely. Although I, I, I hasten to point out that the Triumph chapter is but one of 16 in the book, you know. Absolutely. This is not a book all about uh, Triumph. It's it's an interesting memoir in the sense that it, it feels a little different from a lot of other memoirs. There's lots of advice in here, which I thought was really cool uh, for young people that might be eyeing an, uh, a career in the music industry or just good lessons for leading a, a creative life. So it's not a, and then I was born in a small town and, you know, whatever it's, it's, it doesn't begin that way. It doesn't uh, play out that way. And I thought that was really cool. I have read in an interview with you recently where you said, I had no idea how hard it was uh, to write a memoir. So how did you approach writing this book? Because it is a little different than a regular memoir. 
Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I had uh, a, a nice chunk of uh, resource material because I'd had a members forum on my website for years. And mm -hmm. so all of my posts, I, you know, talked to my uh, web mistress and said, hey, Adrian, can you, put, you know, pull all that stuff together and put it in one file and send it to me? And it was like 5,000 single spaced pages, you know? Wow. So it was like, look, because that thing's run for a couple of decades, you know? Yeah. So I had that and I knew that that was all the questions that, you know, fans really cared about. They, they'd already asked them. I'd already answered them. You know, some of them dozens sometimes, you know, um, <laughs> The other thing was that I, I did a lot of research. I read other rock star memoirs and, and um, so tried to get a feel for what, you know, what the market bears, what, what you know. Um, yeah, so there was all of that. Uh, and then there's the standard things that you're, you're if you're going to say, OK, this has been my life. Right. There's got to be stuff where you're going, OK, so where, where did it come from? Where did my parents come from? Where did my grandparents come from? Like, so there had to be a chapter that was, you know, all of that background stuff. But then, as you as you've pointed out, you know, I was a teacher for a couple of decades, you know, at a college level, teaching music business and songwriting, and and I thought, well, those are two chapters right there for sure. And then, of course, the passports to my universe were, you know, these guys, yeah. you know, and and, um, and so for people that can't see, you're pointing to the guitars of rock of a very impressive rock of guitars right behind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. And I mean, you only ever need one at a time, but nevertheless, I do require <laughs> several dozen just to be happy, um, which that's probably a disease, I'll admit. Um, anyhow, so there, that was the stuff I was kind of going, okay, guitars, songs, uh, my life, uh, it, I, I, you know, and the chapters then sort of started to make themselves evident to me. Mm -hmm. But the hard work is to self-edit. You know, that's that's the hardest thing of all. How you go, well, I'm sorry, but this one's going to, you know, the, the, just going through the pictures that go in the picture thing at the back, there's like 20 odd pages. Of, and I thought, oh, they'll give me the standard sort of seven or eight pages in the middle of the book. But ECW Press was really, you know, uh, kind and, and nice about it. They said, no, no, let's, let's include these. But I mean, even then, there's, you know, dozens of pictures that, they're hitting the you know cutting room floor and you're going ah oh, geez you know that would have been a cool ad in there. You're listening to Rick Emmett on the Richard Krause Show. His book Lay It on the Line: A Backstage Pass to Rockstar Adventure, Conflict, and Triumph is available now wherever you buy fine books. Yeah, and every picture tells a story, and that's you sort of that becomes the thing. You, you're looking for stories. In the book, you say that it's often impossible to get the objective perspective of a career when you're inside it. When did you realize that you were thinking about your life and your career a little differently? Uh, well, I think, I, I, maybe I think the memoir makes this kind of evident that I was always kind of that kind of guy. I was a little bit more sort of uh analytical and and self-aware than your average rock star certainly mm -hmm. the ones that i met you know they were just kind of on the roller coaster ride and, and having yeah. a great old time hanging know? on for dear life yeah 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 you know and i'm going well i don't know if if you know if i'm in it for that you know um so i always had that about me but um certainly you know once you get the other side of 70 <laughs> you know and you're and you're going okay there's uh, most of it's behind me. There's a very little bit ahead. You know, I still have some chapters ahead of me. And I am one of those kind of people that thinks about the present 
and the future. Mm -hmm. And I don't really like to be looking back on the past very much. It's, yep. it's not really in my nature to be celebrating my wonderful successes when I feel more humble and modest than that about chasing this infinite thing of music, you know, of writing and being creative that, you know, I'm constantly feeling the spiritual kind of nature of the aesthetic nature of, of the things that uh, I'm involved in. So, you know, I, the, the whole idea of writing memoir and looking back, there was a, a side of me that went, ah, oh, you know, but I'll, I'll, God's honest truth. I had written a book of poetry mm -hmm. and when I was shopping it, I went, no one's going to want to put out a book of poetry by some <laughs> old rock star. But when I talked to ECW press, I said, Hey, the, my initial pitch was if you'll put out my book of poetry, I will give you a memoir. And they went, okay, we'll give you a deal then. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, <laughs> and we made a joke earlier on about the marketplace and, and the, you know, the, the writing of subtitles in order to hit it. But I mean, that's a truth of the whole situation, right? Like, uh, if you're going to decide, oh, well, I'm going to try to make my past life public. And I'm, I, you know, I'm going to try and mine my uh, experiences and stories in order to put something out there. But the other, the flip side of that is, yeah, but what do my grandkids think of me? And, you know, can I get this right? Can I clean up the language? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? So when you're writing this, you're not just writing about your life. You're writing about the lives of your bandmates, uh, your romantic partners. You're, you're like, you're writing about a lot of people. You know, you don't want to hurt anybody. And especially in the triumph situation, you know, um, I have come to terms with uh, 20 years. We didn't talk to each other. We were, you know, and I was angry and, and, and uh, bitter. And I carried that around like, this is mine. I own this. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to carry this to my grave. And um, the, the, I, I was able to get past that, you know, which was a big thing in my life that I was able to say, no, reach for the more virtuous part of yourself, even though, you know, your ego and your ambition and, and you, all of these kinds of things keep getting in the way. So that was a lesson I'd learned. And I wanted to make sure that the book would be clear about that. And then, of course, I don't want to hurt Mike and mm -hmm. Gil. You know, I want to sort of celebrate what we had, but I also want to tell my truth. And so you're trying to balance. Now, I'm going to give you this insight. One of my beta readers, a guy named Terrence Hart Young, my best friend since grade 11. And Terrence ended up being a, a member of parliament and a member of provincial parliament in his life. He, he'd done both. Uh, and so he was, uh, uh, you know, a politician who understood, well, this is how you get along in caucus. Uh, this is how you get along with the folks that are on the other side of the aisle. <laughs> Oh, this is what it feels like when you put your foot in your mouth, you know. Yeah. So I had him beta read the Triumph chapter, I don't know, six times, five or six times as I rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. And he was the guy that sort of said, look, you want to work your way to, you know, the positive things. Mm -hmm. And 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 yes, you're going to have some of this, but, but don't write it this way, Rick. Don't say that. They'll never talk to you again. You know, say that. Like, and of course, uh, Terence's dad had been, you know, a canon in the Anglican Church. So there was that kind of uh, Christian uh, moral kind of uh, value that he would say, you know, Rick, I, Rick, I understand you're agnostic, but still, yeah. you know, this morality is a good morale. And I would go, you're right. You're right. OK, you're right. There is a, a, a section of the book where you uh, start. I think the first line of the chapter is some things only a rock star can tell you. 
And I've often wondered what it would be like to walk out on stage in front of 10,000 people or more and just hear that rush, right? What does that feel like? What do, What is it like? I've never, I've been in the audience, but I've never been on the stage. So tell me, uh, and I'm sure that's one of the things only a rock star can tell you. So tell me a, a couple of things that only a rock star can tell us. Well, I mean, I know what it's like. And there's a story in there about um, being a kid and going to Maple Leaf hockey games at Maple Leaf Gardens and sitting in the end blues, you know, as a little kid. And then, you know, on a night in 1978, I got to walk out onto a stage in the concert pool at Maple Leaf Gardens. And it was our building. My name, my, you know, the band I was in was up on the marquee. And I stood there at soundcheck and I looked up and I could see that seat that I sat in when I was a kid. And you're just going. Like I'm, I'm telling you the story now and I'm getting goosebumps in my body because I remember that moment of, holy crap, who gets to have this kind of moment? Mm -hmm. Do I deserve to have this moment? Like, but I'm having it, you know? So, and I had that so many times in my life. I know what it's like to, um, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to bang off a bunch. Okay. Uh, walk out on the stage with Joe Louis Arena when they first built Joe Louis Arena. We were one of the first bands to play there. The band, the, the building's been torn down now, but nevertheless, that shows you how old I'm getting. But <laughs> so uh, we walked out and uh, I think it was maybe uh, Magic Power, the beginning, maybe after the drum solo, I can't remember, but everybody in the building had their Bic lighters and it was 17,000 people in this, in this, you know, it was just a sea of, Oh my godness, yeah. you know, that you're and this this as you say, this roar that's kind of coming at you that's just like and there's times where uh okay, I'm gonna give you another this is not me, but it, there, as a story in my book, uh, I played the uh Phoenix uh, concert theater in Toronto and it was a guitar night, the night of a thousand guitars it was part of the uh, Toronto Guitar Festival in 87. And I did a duo thing with Ed Bickert, the the you know, oh, the dean of Canadian Yeah, and an unbelievable thing for me just to be able to get to play with the guy because, you know, I'm this, you know, rock star. Yeah. I do not belong on the same stage as Ed. And so we come out, I'm going to do one of my tunes, Suitcase Blues, and Ed's going to be playing along with me. And it, the crowd is mostly guitar weenies, right? They're, they're guys that are into guitar and love guitar, and, and it's mostly guys. But, and they're mostly guys that are there because they want it. Steve Morse is there from uh, Dixie Drags and Deep Purple and, 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 uh, and Kim Mitchell came and played with us that night. I mean, so it was a it was a star-studded kind of night. Leona Boyd was on the gig. So um, anyways, the crowd starts, this this roar starts coming up, and Ed is sitting there. And then the roar keeps going, and it's kind of getting stronger and louder. And he's sitting there with his old beat-up telly. And he and he did a thing where it was like Jack Benny. He put his hand on his cheek, was like, <laughs> Oh my God, what is happening? You know, and I was laughing because he'd never experienced anything like well, I used to go see him play at Georgia Spaghetti House or, yeah. you know, those places which were you were quiet when you went to see those jazz shows. You know, if you applaud, well, you would applaud, but it would be very, you know, polite oh, yeah. golf uh, clapping uh, in between songs. And they were very, very quiet gigs. So this would have been something unusual for him. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, there's a part of him where you could see he's just he's barely stomaching it, you know, yeah. like he 
it's not his thing. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't really like it, but okay, Rick invited one. Rick, it got me on the cover of Guitar Player Magazine, yeah. so I, I've got to play along here. And oh well, you know. You're listening to Rick Emmett on the Richard Krause Show. His book, Lay It on the Line A Backstage Pass to Rockstar Adventure, Conflict, and Triumph, is available now wherever you buy fine books. But it wasn't like he was enjoying it, it was just, it was kind of like, but for me, I was going, oh, this is just. He's finally experiencing what it feels like to be like honored yeah. in a roaring kind of way. Now, I've stood in front of the Oz Festival, yeah. May 29, 1983, you know, I don't know, anywhere between 250 and 400,000, depending on how many drugs you yeah. did and make you drive all that stuff. But that was just, that was an incredible afternoon. That was a uh, an amazing day in my life. And, you know, there's stories in the book. There's got to be a dozen uh stories that I could tell you about what it's like to be in on the stage in that moment. But I also like it to, to, to be able to say, yeah, well, I know what it's like, you know, when, you know, one of the uh, roadies had an accident and fell off the truck, yeah. you know, and, and then we were dealing with that, you know, or what it was like when, I don't know, you know, the, the merch guys took baseball bats and went outside the building and chased off the guys that were selling bootleg stuff outside the building. Right, right. Like that would happen every, you know, six months, there would be one of those nights. And you just go like, whoa, you know, like those things don't happen to your average person. You're in the dressing room and you're going, oh man, there's like a, there's, there's a, there's a, a maelstrom that spins out of control all around me. And I'm just in the eye of the hurricane. You also say in the book, creativity was and is it for me and still is it for me. Uh, it's such a great line because I think it sums up uh, the whole ethos of the book. The whole idea of this book is uh, about leading your best creative life. And it's going to be different for everybody because creativity does not strike the same people or anyone the same way. Uh, yes. And so are you still writing songs are you playing guitar every day are you you're writing what how do you scratch that creative itch yeah yes 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 i mm -hmm. I, I play guitar every day and i'm writing and i've got a, a project i'm working on a recording of 10 jazz guitar finger style kinds of things ed bickert would be kind of he's looking down and smiling yeah. and laughing <laughs> but I'm, I'm playing a telecaster so the it's it's entitled 10 telecaster tales Wow. Uh, and it's it's Ed Bickert's influence, but it's obviously me. It's you know I can't reach Ed's level on Ed's level. I'm just doing me. Um, and I continue to write songs. I got the masters back from the era just after I left Triumph. There were three albums that I did for Duke Street Records. My life was pretty eclectic in those days. I was bouncing around. So I'm going to do two compilations. One that's kind of the hard rock stuff. And and you know this is again another thing of you reorganizing your past. And I go okay, I'll play along, but I'm you know. I'm not really, you know, this doesn't turn my crank. But my friend Peter Cardinelli has a label called Alma Records. And I was taking some of the stuff that was much more sort of muso and, and uh, artsy. And I was saying to Peter, hey, maybe we'll do a compilation. But maybe can I write some new ones? And so I wrote with a guy named Don Brightup about eight or nine songs. Don and I picked two. So I've st now I've still got, you know, five or six that are lying around after that. And I'm going... Well, what'll I do with those? I don't know. You know, I'll decide after I do all the run of of marketing for right. for the memoir. I'll figure it out. But um, because of course that's the final thing, right? You you, you can be creative, but then you, you you have to 
it's like the whole thing if the tree falling in the forest doesn't make a sound you know if i write a book or i or i you know make a guitar piece if i can't find an audience it hasn't really fulfilled itself mm -hmm. you know um so uh, you know i'm a, a an enough of a sort of a commercial ish artist that i kind of go well you really do have to figure out how you can find some kind of market for it you know so that's that's the, and that's a creative act too that was rick emmett rock god and author of lay it on the line which is available now wherever you buy fine books my guest in this segment is Alan Frew, the Scottish-Canadian singer, songwriter, actor, and author, and notably lead singer of the Canadian rock band Glass Tiger. You know them from their chart-topping songs like Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone and Someday. Today, we'll talk about his upcoming 80s-90s rewind shows that will feature performances of classic hit songs that have left a mark on the music industry to this very day. Concert goers can expect to hear Alan Frew perform hit songs by Simple Minds, Tears for Fears, Midnight Oil, Robert Palmer, Pearl Jam, and more. Alan brings the show to Toronto's Opera House on February 17th and has possible plans to tour the country with the show later this year. Here's Alan and fruit. Thanks for taking some time to speak with Dean. Uh, oh, it's a pleasure. When I when I heard you were going to speak with me, I was thrilled. Oh, well, thank you so much. In mm -hmm. early bands that you were in, you must have played cover songs, but from what I've read about you, um, I'm guessing that there was probably more like The Who and Led Zeppelin and The Stones and things like that, rather than uh, some of the stuff that you'd be covering on your new tour. You're absolutely right. I grew up with the Beatles and the Who and, and you know, Zeppelin and, and all those kind of things. And the first band I was in was very much sort of like that. But I started to notice, you know, there was absolutely certain things that just didn't suit my voice. Mm. Um, especially, especially this sort of Amer American rock and roll. So I dabbled a lot with the Beatles and the who and whatnot but then when that fragmented and, and and ended mainly because of finances everybody was broke and starving um <laughs> uh, when the second batch came along uh which is a band called tokyo that eventually becomes glass tiger it started out very much the same the drummer the original drummer michael hansen he was all about def leopard and rush uh, and, um, you know, heavy rock. And I would actually only sing the sort of UK stuff, mm. which by this time was early U2, early Police, early Simple Minds. Uh, and then I would leave the stage and go stand at the bar and have a pint <laughs> while he... It was ridiculous. Anyway... <laughs> I had a chat with him and I said, look, if you want me to be your front man, I think it's ridiculous that I leave the stage. And I think we have to phase out these, these heavier things and start focusing more UK. So that's why the 80s became easier because our cover songs were by bands that I'm now going to cover again uh, in, in 2024. You know, it's, it's incredible. Well, some of the songs that you've chosen, uh, I can absolutely see in your eyes. 
I, I see that. I get why you would cover that one. Live to Tell by Madonna was a bit more of a surprise to me. So tell me a little bit about how you chose the songs that you'll be singing on this okay. tour. Okay, so another very interesting thing. The album that you're um, uh, alluding to was my first stab at thinking, shall I tell you why I'm doing this? And I would love that. I would go out in front of audiences, and I still do. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's a little club with three or 400 or whether Glass Tiger's part of a festival with 20,000. I will ask people, how many of you, like we played Calgary last week, 1,500 in the casino sold out. How many people have seen Glass Tiger before? And you would be amazed. There's only about one third of the audience raise their hands. And then of the third that raise their hands, I say, how many of you saw us in 1986? <laughs> Boom, a fraction. So it dawned on me, we'll now go back to the, the album you're alluding to. It dawned on me when I was doing that, that this is a whole new generation or two or three, whatever <laughs> it is, right? Uh, of young ones discovering this brilliant genre. And so the first stab I took at that album, looking back on it, it's very tame. I don't regret doing it, but there's definitely, you know, looking back on it with the band I have now, with the approach I have now, it would be entirely different. You're listening to Alan Frew on The Richard Krause Show. Check out his new show, 80s, 90s Rewind at Toronto's Opera House on February 17th. I think I nailed a couple, like you mentioned, In Your Eyes. I think the John Waite version wasn't that bad and Paul Young. But there's a couple of ones that I definitely hit the goalpost and, and maybe even missed the goalpost. But now with, now with this band, if I was recording tomorrow, it would be Midnight Oil and In Excess mm -hmm. and You Too and Simple Minds and Tears for Fears. So we, the level has, has gone up dr drastically. It's a brilliant night of 80s and 90s music, uh, which I may take into the studio at some point and prove that to myself and to the listeners that, you know, we've really matured with, uh, with this uh, whole idea of covers. It's interesting when you mention the 1980s and you call it a genre. The songwriting, I have to say, I think was exemplary. Uh, I, you're so you're so spot on. I think I think when we call the 80s a genre and we close our eyes, we focus on a real sort of particular part of it, mm. which is that synthesized pop sound. That, that was the part that came from uh, sort of from nowhere. Here it is, this new, yeah, yeah. this new take on music. But it was very forgiving in the, in the fact that it allowed these other, as you mentioned, what I, what I, I noticed was that the nineties then picked up on that and sort of refined it even a little bit more. And all of a sudden, like grunge in the door. Mm -hmm. And now you've you know you could go anywhere from glass tiger to rem to peril jam you, you know and it was all part of the same uh, scene uh and i think i think to me when i close my eyes and think of the 80s it's easier to pinpoint what i think the genre was whereas the 90s is a much more 
sort of eclectic movement in, in my mind anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, I love the fact that, um, you know, there were so many avenues to, to attend and listen to uh, in music when you turn your radio on or you watch much music or, you know, whatever it is where you were getting your music from. Uh, but I do think they've become, I don't know how you feel about it, but I do feel there's a classic element to it now that um, will allow it to survive quite a bit longer, I, I think. I think it's become the new classic rock. Yeah. I think when I listen to these songs, and I'm not involved in the music industry, nor was I certainly back then, but it felt like it was a little bit more fun maybe than it is now. Do you? Does that ring true to you? Absolutely. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not under any, uh, of, you know, false illusions of grandeur in any way. I realize mm-hmm. that, you know, when I come out and do this, I, I, I can only hope that people respect me as a vocalist. Uh, they'll be the ones that in, are fans of Glass Tiger. And, you know, I'm not saying this is Simple Minds and Tears for Fears and uh, that'd be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that this is going to be such a fun night of classic hits by these bands that it becomes an event where you can come and just have fun and, and close your eyes. I present the songs uh, in as, as close to the original. The only, the only difference in any of the songs from the originals would be how focused you are on my vocals versus each right. individual singer. Uh, we don't try and present these songs like, well, here's a, a wacky new way to sing, you know, <laughs> yeah, with me. Uh, no, we do it exactly the way you would hope to hear it. And and I present it with, you know, my vocals are at the top of the game right now. I'm mm-hmm. still in all my original keys. I sing all these songs in their original keys. The band is killer. And it's just a, an event. That's what it is, which hopefully that's exactly what you said the genre uh, was at the time. So... So there you go. What, what do you do to look after your voice? It's difficult yeah. to keep to keep those high notes. It's difficult to uh, to stay as we age, and we're all aging. So, what do you do to look after your voice? My friend, nothing. I really? <laughs> I maybe go to the occasional Guinness. Um, the only thing that stops me uh, being who I am as a vocalist would be some, you know, a little flu, a little cold, right. whatever. Other than that, I, I mean, I, on the, the, the day of the event, I'm very focused. I warm up in the morning. I warm up in the afternoon. I warm up just before I hit the stage. Uh, um, this, uh, I'll have to really do that because there's a, a big gap between mm-hmm. now. I don't I have no concerts now. Right. Between now and then. So probably at least a week or so prior. But when I'm actually performing, Night after night after night. That's actually a good thing for me because as long as I'm healthy, the, the voice is there. So I'm one of the fortunate ones so far. Um, I've run into a few in my time. Uh, first one that comes to mind is Paul Rogers. Mm. Uh, Paul, was he's older than I am, and he was right at the top of his game. Uh, I have witnessed some who have been out there. Uh, they can remain nameless, but they just couldn't cut it anymore. 
and I've felt for them. But uh, I'm, I'm one of the fortunate ones right now that my voice is still, you know, where it should be. And you mentioned, you know, as long as you have your health, I mean, I think that that's something that probably was reinforced in you uh, as you recovered from your stroke from a number of years ago. The last time I saw you, we talked about it at length, but you mm -hmm. seem to have recovered completely and and uh, are in tip-top shape after that, which is amazing. As tip-top shape, shape as you can be, being a, a stroke survivor at my age, I, you know, I still carry scars from it. Um, I had an incident that uh, caused me to fall, and I broke my neck. I don't know if you know that. No. I broke my neck 10 days before going on a national tour, Glass Tiger and Corey Hart, and had, had major surgery to put a titanium, little piece of titanium plate in my spine, in my neck, and was on that stage and did that tour right across Canada. The surgeon, the surgeon came in. He was a gentleman from Iran. And he came in and he said, I hear you say you go on tour. And I said, yeah. He goes, you're crazy. <laughs> and he ran out of the room and he signed off on me saying he wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, yeah. uh, but you seem to have weathered that storm as well. Yeah. I, I, I'm from Glasgow. Yeah. Well, it, now, I've heard you talk about the town that you're from because mm -hmm. it, it's not glasgow it's just outside of glasgow and glasgow has a reputation of yes. being tough and i heard you say one time that yeah. people from glasgow were even kind of afraid of the people that I you talk with town i come from even people from glasgow never came in to mess with them because <laughs> it was it was off the charts a wee town called coat coat bridge that was the name of it yeah um, tell me how you selected uh, the songs. I mean, there's so many to choose from. Yeah. And, you know, there are so many great ones, uh, you know, on that must have been on the master list that you looked at. Tell me how you chose the ones. Oh, my goodness me. It's a, it's a tough one. You just kind of weave your way through it, and it becomes a revolving door. You're listening to Alan Frew on The Richard Krause Show. Check out his new show, 80s and 90s Rewind at Toronto's Opera House on February 17th. You watch for responses of audiences when you play. I've done a lot of corporate stuff mm. uh, with, with this band. And uh, so I pick songs that are near and dear to my heart, but you can tell, you can just tell by, you know, the flavor, how the band reacts to them. And then, you know, you watch a, a particular audience and you know when the song ends and they're just like on their feet cheering, then you you think you've got a keeper, and so you you hang on to it. But it's tough because I mean, imagine you 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 can go from 1980 to 1999. Uh, the abundance of brilliant songs is is unbelievable. Well, I I would imagine that with some of these that you know right away if the audience is going to react because. When I think of songs like Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds, it starts so distinctively. So as soon as you hear it, you know what's coming and you're probably on your feet. Amazing, because, yeah, now in my head I hear um, everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I hear Midnight Oil. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know? uh, it, absolutely. Absolutely. And people, you can see it in them. You know, with Midnight Oil, we do this little just this little unusual intro and I'm actually saying to them, 
you know the song, you just don't realize it. You know the song. And then as soon as it stops and goes down, 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 <laughs> everybody just, they're in, they're in. And of course, you'll be playing some Glass Tiger songs as well. Well, no. Um, I'll probably only play one if I can convince management I'll get away with two. But the reason I'm doing it, Richard, is not because um, I, I am on that particular evening. It, it's all about Glass Tiger. It's, mm. Nothing could be further from the truth. But I do believe that Glass Tiger, a song like Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone, would be as worthy as Tears for Fears, would be as worthy as Simple Minds. And so I think it's important for me as a songwriter to be allowed to express myself and say, this was the era that my band was involved in. And, uh, and, and ladies and gentlemen, here's don't forget me when I'm gone. Yeah. But not, not give it pride of place or any big moment. Just let it be one of these great 80s tunes. Yeah. That's take on it. How long will the tour last? Well, it's not a tour, Richard. What it is, is I've been asked by, you know, Live Nation are curious, uh, the agency's curious, my manager's curious. We want to know, is there a, a ticket for this? Is there, mm. is there a way that people would like? It's a corporate dream. There's no doubt about it. Right. I could go on a cruise tomorrow. I could go on cruises forever. <laughs> I, I could go down to Mexico and do the 80s on the beach things. Yeah. But we're curious to see if there's a valid audience that would like to say, I'll buy a ticket and I'll go through the door. Yeah. And I, I want to see that. And so we've chosen the Opera House to test that. And if people are interested, I'll take it out on the road. Right. That's really what it's all about. Well, I don't think you're going to have trouble finding people that are interested. I hope so. I hope yeah. you Well, Alan, thank you so much. What a pleasure to speak to you. Find you, my friend. That was Alan Frew on The Richard Krause Show. Check out his new show, 80s and 90s Rewind at Toronto's Opera House on February 17th. Big thanks to Alan for joining me today. Also, a shout out to Rick Emmett. Find his memoir, Lay It on the Line, a backstage pass to Rockstar Adventure, Conflict and Triumph at fine bookstores everywhere. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon.